A young buck in the Canucks organization is putting the NHL on notice, and it's not Brock Besser. I'll give you a hint. He won Rookie of the Month honors for October, plus a couple of notable contract extensions involving a pair of cup contenders. Jonathan Quick injured again, sports gambling in the NHL, and lots of Bruins Sens news. Strap in for episode 144 because the fun starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we go anywhere, as always, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am ready, yes. Okay, question 33. And uh, let's see here. It's actually huh. we're into chapter two now. We've been on chapter one this whole time. Well, now we're into wow. chapter two. So that's we're like a ton of que- that's a ton of questions for chapter one. Yeah. Right. Uh, there there were uh, thirty two questions for chapter one actually. Oh, okay. weird. All right. Crazy. Cool. Uh, so anyways, question 33 is where we're at. Which Hall of Fame member gave hockey the expression, he shoots, he scores? A, an NHL player. B, a broadcaster. C, a seven-year-old stick boy. Or D, a spectator. Um, I think this feels like a trick question, um, but I'm going to fall for it. So I'm going to go with a broadcaster because I don't understand how it wouldn't spread otherwise if it's not a broadcaster <laughs> yeah it would have been hilarious if you said a seven-year-old stick boy <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. be the most that guy the most iconic phrase in hockey is a seven-year-old yeah. stick boy. yeah it was a broadcaster all right foster hewitt was his name yeah, very I'm, big here in canada yeah so yeah you're correct it's a broadcaster now i wonder why they even asked that 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 question but like that was a surefire quite like trick oh question. my god if you would have gotten that wrong like i know <laughs> i i we should have I don't to, think yeah. I lost it but i would have just been bewildered yeah we would have to uh um cancel the segment look at right? ourselves in the mirror and just go who what? are we what are we doing yeah yeah exactly all right uh so we should uh get going first um, so we've talked about this guy for a bit now, like, you know, in the off season, um, he's, you know, Elias Pedersen, or I guess it's Peterson now, um, you know, he had, he was, uh, he was involved in that, uh, takedown, um, off of Matheson, he had a concussion for a couple days, and missed a couple games, um, but then he, uh, he had a pretty strong, uh, return, um, Although he didn't score against Chicago when he on his first game back, oh no, wait, sorry, um, he didn't score against Pittsburgh on his first game back. But then he had two goals um, on Monday. Um, he didn't score again on Chicago, and then he had an impressive five-point game um, on t- Saturday. Um, yeah, no, it was a Friday against the Avs. Oh, was it Friday? Oh, yeah, it was, it was Friday. Friday yeah. 
Um, and so that means that he has 15 points in nine games. Nine of them are goals. Uh, six of them are assists. Um, I mean, I, obviously, um, you know, this is probably not sustainable. Um, but at the same time, the Canucks are, this are I believe, they're first in their division. Um, and they're a top five team in the league right now as well. Yep. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So they're just behind the Calgary Flames um, in first uh, in in the division. Um, you know they're losing by one point. They're in top six actually, not top five. Um, okay. The Predators, Lightning, Wild, and Maple Leafs are all ahead of them. Oh, I guess. Oh no, he's tied for. They're tied for third um, in the divi- in the in the league. So, yeah, because they all have 18 points. The Wild and the Beefs and the Canucks have 18 points. The Flames and the Lightning have 19, and the Predators have 22. Um, and the, but, like, so it's just crazy because we, pre- we all predicted that, yeah, Pedersen was going to be pretty good. I guess I should start saying Peterson um, was going to be pretty good. But he's not, you know, he's not going to be the difference maker in, in how the Canucks are playing. Um, it turns out that we were kind of wrong on that. Um, so it's like, it kind of like, it's weird to even like, because I feel like it's still way too early in his career to start comparing him to different players. But at the same time, that's what I'm about to do. <laughs> um, so like the, the, I could compare him to Connor McDavid. Um, in the sense that, like, you know, he's kind of, like, the best player on a bad team, and he's kind of changing the culture of that team. So, like, where you're thinking, like, well, the Canucks are not going to win when he's not on his game. And I feel like that's the truth. Um, However, of course, since Pedersen has been playing nine games, um... It's hard to say, like, you know, whereas Connor McDavid's played a couple more games, it's hard to say if this is going to be sustainable or not. Um, but, it, you know, it could. And then the other one is that's pretty obvious uh, comparison to make, which is also a little bit hard, too, is Matthew Barzal and what he did last year, where Barzal was, like, you know, kind of unheard of at the beginning of the season, and then all of a sudden he starts breaking out and becomes a like an even point per game player in his rookie year. Um, the thing that's even more impressive with Pedersen is that 14 of his 15 points are even strength. So it's not like he's um, you know it's a little bit easier to score when you're on the pa- you know when you're on the power play because you don't have you know there's a main advantage. And uh, you're also, um, the other thing that's impressive is that he's a center and he has nine goals in nine games, uh, which is pretty rare for a center because usually centers get more assists than goals. um, And I think that's kind of special that he has nine goals. Um, So before I take it to you, I think it like, you know, I heard of this kid early on in this summer, you know, when he was drafted in 2017, I was like, all right, maybe I thought there, you know, maybe they should have drafted, the Canucks should have drafted Gabe Velarde was a big one. 
Um, there was a couple other ones where I thought, like, oh, maybe they should have gotten this guy or not. But it turns out that there's a reason why I'm not a scout. Um, and he also, like, I saw that he was, like, the MVP last year in the SHL, Swedish Hockey League. Um, and that's a league of men, not And boys. that's a league of men, yeah, exactly. He had, like, a phenomenal playoffs, too. Um, so, like, he had a, like, he had a crazy year last year in that league, because that was the same year, league as uh, Rasmus Dahlin was in last year as well, and he, you know, he was, he was way, he was very impressive there, um, so I, you know, like, I was thinking, like, all right, I want to see what he's like in the NHL, turns out that he, you know, he's still pretty good, um, in the NHL, so, um, so yeah, the, I, I don't know, this could be something where, like, I want to see more out of him, and I look, and I actually look forward to Canucks games now, just so I can see him, um, it looks like he's a, he's a, he's a great player, um, but, um, and, and definitely worth the hype for now, um, I'm just curious to see if he can sustain it throughout the season, uh, now. Well, see, the thing about, you know, whether or not he can sustain it, like, you know, we were asking the same thing about Austin Matthews mm-hmm. when he went on that tour and pace and then he goes pointless for four or five games or pointless for four games, goals for five, and then he gets hurt. Right. He's out four weeks. So a lot can happen for sure between now and the end of the season. But if you're a Canucks fan, you have lots of hope because Elias Peterson was named Peterson, dang it, yeah, we're going to mess this up. Rookie of the Month. Yeah, it's probably going to happen a lot. He's named Rookie of the Month for October. Seven goals and ten points in his first NHL games. Um, began his career with a five-game point streak. Um, and his first two games, he gets multi-point uh, showings as well. And in, the team, and in the games where he went pointless, his team scored a combined two goals in those two games. Um, October 27th against Pittsburgh, October 31st against Chicago. And, you know, we're talking about him driving the rookie class of 2018-2019, but he's driving the Canucks offense as well. And the November 2nd showing, we really got to see it. Like, just just take a second to think about this for a second. Nobody, nobody in the rookie year in Canucks history had five points. Not Pavel Bure, not Henrik Sedin, not Daniel Sedin, not Trevor Linden. He's the first to do it. And he does it against one of the best offenses in the league. And they were trading blows for blows, punches for punches. It seemed like whenever one team scored, the other team would find a way to respond. It was a really back-and-forth seesaw battle. Nathan McKinnon had a good game as well. And um, it, it was pretty neck-and-neck neck, uh, until overtime. The Canucks outshot the Avs 7 to nothing in the overtime period when they finally won it 7-6. to six. Um but like I said, for the most part, it was neck and neck, and teams were trading blows for blows. So the fact that at his age, he was able to go out there and pull off that five-point performance against uh, a team with Nathan McKinnon on it, that's not easy for anybody to do. Like right. He played almost 23 minutes in that game, almost five minutes on the power play. He had four takeaways, which is mind-boggling as well. And out of his 15 points on the year, only one secondary assist. So that means he either got a primary assist or he scored. 
yep. which is absolutely crazy. And then, then I was wondering, okay, well, he's doing well for the Canucks. He's doing well uh, amongst NHL rookies. How is he compared across the league, across established players? Well, on the year, he's averaging 11 seconds more ice time per game than Braden Point. He has the same amount of points as Braden Point as well. Top 30 NHL score. He sits tied for second with Evgeny Malkin in points per game. Only Miko Rantanen has posted a better average. And Peterson has scored nine goals on, get this, 23 shots. So we're looking at a shooting percentage of about 40%. Yep. 40% shooting percentage. That's ridiculous. And, and like, yeah, we, we knew a lot about this guy. When, when this guy was drafted, I was going, like, a year after they drafted Ole Uolevi, Right. Fifth overall, they draft this guy in the position that he was in. And I'm just thinking, what are the Canucks doing? Right. And I, I think the reason why he went under so many people's radar is because he wasn't playing in North America. Because yeah. for you and me, we live in you live in the United States, either in Canada, respectively. Yeah. Like Matt Barzell played in the Western Hockey League. He played with uh, the Seattle Thunderbirds and. Um, Someone like Connor McDavid played in the Ontario Hockey League, and um, that's the same league as the Ottawa 67s, who are absolutely killing it right now in the OHL, by the way. Right. Um, that's a conversation for another day. But we, for us, it was easier to watch talents like Matt Barzell develop. It was easier to watch talents like Connor McDavid develop, because this is North American hockey. This guy developed in the Swedish leagues... He's never played an American Hockey League game before. Prior to this year, he hadn't played a single NHL game. So we didn't know very little firsthand what this guy was capable of. All we saw was highlights on Twitter. Right. So now that we're seeing him in live NHL action, now we're really starting to see what this guy is capable of. And I'm buying this hype so much. I love the young talent, the young blood the Vancouver Canucks have right now. Yeah, it's kind of fitting that the, on the year that uh, the Sedin, you know, the the next year that the Sedins retire, like yeah. a lot, like another Swede comes in and and steals, you know, the hearts of many um, in Vancouver. Um, who's and the Sedins are going to watch this guy yeah. too. They're not going to play with him. They can just watch his fans and just admire it. And yeah. like, like you see their owner Francesco Aquilini, he was live tweeting the game as a fan. Yeah, which is something that you don't see every it's day. It's true. Um, the, uh, speaking of the Sedins, uh, apparently, um, so Pedersen had a nice bank shot pass to Brock Besser. Brock Besser's also yeah. having a, a pretty good year, too. Um, yeah. And he, uh, and it was, you know, it was kind of like a signature uh, move that the Sedins did. And Henrik Sedin said this, um, he's going to have to pay us absolutely. We have the copyright on that play, and you can't just steal like that. That's wrong. <laughs> Um, and then yeah, he goes. Yeah, because previous yeah. highlight where they tried it and executed it successfully. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but like uh, Sedin, Henrik Sedin has already said that he's really impressive. He plays the game in a way that you can't really compare him to other, the other players on the team because he can do it all. And and and, and that's he true too. Did that, and, and yeah. he pulled off that play in his ninth career NHL game. Yeah. And How so, many players do you see pulling off that kind of play after right. the conference to pull off that kind of play in their ninth game? Yeah, and it's, it's something that's like, 
I was just thinking, like, you know, like, Connor McDavid is great on the offensive side of the game. Uh, he's also great in, you know, the defensive side of things. But it seems like, you know, Pedersen, Peterson, I should say, is also, like, great on the defensive side of things, too, which is even more important for a team like the Canucks that are that do struggle defensively. And I yeah, think, team defense and yeah. goaltending is going to hold them back if they don't improve. Exactly. So like you can have all, all the offense in the world. If you don't have good team defense and goaltending, you're not going that as right. far as you think you will. I mean, like, the, the Colorado game was 7-6, to six, you know? So the, so the idea that, like, like Pedersen basically willed them to win that game um, there. And, you know, that, that's probably not going to happen every time. But that it, that kind of that game kind of reminded me of what Connor McDavid does to the Oilers, where like he just scores so much that it kind of makes up for all the the weaknesses that that team has. And so I feel like if he can do this more often and more often, then yeah, he's he's up there with Connor McDavid um, as one of the best players in the game. Um, which is just crazy to say, considering that he wasn't even the first overall pick in. In his draft year, um, you know, people, like, you know, I guess people in some hockey circles have heard of him. I mean, we both had heard of him last, in the summer, like, he had a lot of hype, but we didn't know that he was going to be this good. Um, so I think that's, that's just the crazy thing. But, like, yeah, if he can score five points and, um, you know, just, like, even contribute offensively and just bring a spark to the Canucks, um, yeah, I think like the you know this kind of changes my perspective on the Canucks and him as a player. I feel like he could be, you know, he could rival McDavid in the coming years, assuming this is sustainable. Because you did mention this shot, the shot shooting percentage. He has a thirty nine point one percent shooting percentage right now. That's definitely not sustainable. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> But, like, even if he can get it to, like, 20%, that's still pretty good. Um, so, oh, yeah, um, so yeah we'll, we'll have to see if he cools off. But right now, he's doing really good. Um, so, yeah, do we expect him to be this time? Can the Canucks gain enough street cred to be a contender in three years? Um, I think the answer is yes. They have Quinn Hughes uh, playing in, in Michigan. Thatcher Demko, they're still kind of patient with him. Um, you know, they, we haven't seen him yet, but I assume we'll see him maybe this year, maybe next year. But I think once they get those two guys, a Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko in, and they can play with Besser and they can play with Pedersen, um, I think then, yeah, the Canucks could be like, you know, the next like Maple Leafs kind of thing. Um, and who knows, maybe you Levy could be a guy, um, in their system as well, uh, but it's you know, at the moment it's it's tough to say. And you also have guys like Adam Godet who yep. um, uh, uh, could have an NHL future as well. And, right, you know, like, he's, he's played not a couple like games. Like Peterson, oh, yeah, Peterson is right now. But true, yeah, yeah, he's he's he definitely has that pedigree to become um, a top six forward in the NHL. And I think if you're the Canucks and you look at Pedersen's play, that's what you need. To gain street cred because everyone looks at Boer Horvat and they say, Oh, you know, he's a pretty good player. Yeah. And true, everyone's like what they've seen from Brock Besser early on, and Quentin Hughes, they like what they see, and their goaltending depth looks good. 
But you look at Elias Peterson. He's put a Canucks team that everyone expected to be near the bottom into, if not a top five spot, for right and close to it. Did anyone at any point in the season think that was going to happen? Because no. Count Me is one of the many that probably thought that wasn't going to happen. No. And I think if you want to recruit guys to be a part of your hockey club and you're a team like Vancouver that maybe needs to convince the player to go ahead and overlook the franchise's losing ways in previous years, you look at that off the boards past the broadcaster. Right. You look at that play. You show them that play. I'm showing them that play to convince them the Canucks are the team they should sign with. Yep. And this is the guy that the Vancouver Canucks should build their team around. They're yep. going to be a fast-paced team. They need skill up front. Um, and I think that showing by Elias Peterson is what you need to convince future free agents to come to Vancouver. No one that is serious of winning a title is going to come to Vancouver right now. But I think different scenarios could play out in a few years if this team starts to take off as Peterson as they drove. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, the... Yeah, that that is a good point. Um, there is also like I mean, like we all thought that he was like he was the Calder favorite this year um, by a lot of like sports boards and stuff. So I I expected him to be you know somewhat decent. Um, I didn't expect him to be this good though um, for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. So um, but yeah, no, I, I'm I'm enjoying what I'm seeing. It's weird as a Bruins fan to be looking forward to Canucks games, but um, you know I'm kind of I'm kind of excited just to start watching those games more often, um, just so I can just so I can see this guy play. Um, so I yeah, I like the Maple Leafs. I and I'm I'm going to say this up front, just because we talk about the Maple Leafs on the show doesn't mean I like them. They're my favorite <laughs> team. That doesn't that doesn't mean they're my favorite team. Mm-hmm. But I like to watch good, entertaining hockey that's fast-paced. And the yeah. Leafs provide that. So if they provide good hockey, I will watch the Vancouver Canucks. Yep. 100%. Um, so speaking of which, uh, does that mean that either of those teams are going to be on our – are the Canucks going to be on our top three in the power rankings? Um, so that's uh, that was supposed to be a segue. I, I don't know. Yeah, that was, that was a good one. <laughs> All right. Yeah, here's my segment. Uh, so I, uh, so we're doing power rankings again this week. I think it, w- it went well last week. Um, I took it more seriously this week. I think. Um, so I'm gonna go first for the top three because you went first last week. Um, it seems kind of like a running joke where I always forget who goes first. But um, but I did I did write it down. So I'm going first on the top three. Um, my first pick. Um, is the Nashville Predators, um, especially now that they have Pecorini back. I saw them firsthand last night against the Bruins, um, where Pecorini shut them out. Um, so I'm going to give them, uh, I'm going to say that they um, are the better team. Uh, like, of course, it was a one nothing game, but, you know, the, the Predators are the Predators. It's kind of like to be expected. They're an elite team. Um but, um, you know, if Pecorine can be that guy who can shut out the Bruins, who are a pretty, you know, offensive guy, player, uh, te- is a pretty offensive team, um, then, yeah, I think they have something going. 
Uh, they've also won three in a row, which I took into account as well. Um, so I, I have them as the first team. Um, the second team, I was kind of debating on if I should actually do the second best team or the team that's on the hottest streak. Um, but I'm going to do a mixture of both. Uh, where I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Lightning as the second team. Seems like they finally got it going. They're, they kind of struggled off the gate, but it looks like they you know, they beat a good Habs team on Saturday. Um, they do play the Senators today, so um, they, don't, they don't play them um, often. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe the Senators can upset them this week. Um, hold on. Um, but they, you know, they beat the the Canadians. They lost to the Predators. Um, but I mean, as I just talked about, the Predators were pretty good. And then they beat the Devils eight to three. Um, so I thought that was impressive. Um, although they did lose to Arizona seven to one. Um, I think the you know the idea that they're you know. I have faith in them that they're going to be good um, all year round. So I think they're they're starting to get things going. Stamkos had been a little bit shaky, but it seems like you know he he had two he had a goal last night. Um, it seems like he's picked things up. Kucherov's of course great too. Um, and then of course the biggest surprise is Braden Point um, has been better than both Kucherov and Stamkos. Um, and what's even more impressive is that they don't even have Victor Hedman still, um, but like, you know, they just keep on going because of their depth and stuff. And JT Miller has been pretty good. Strawman's been pretty good. Ty Joe has been pretty good. So, um, so yeah, they're all working as a team, even though they're missing their best defenseman. Um, and then third, um, so I, so I did have the Penguins first. Uh, last week, but I, I, I think since you, you were right about Matt Murray, he hasn't been great. So I, I don't even have the Penguins on my top three anymore. Um, and especially now that they've stopped scoring for whatever reason. So I'm going to go with the air, like, I guess I could go with the obvious, like, you know, Calgary Flames, um, because they've they've started winning a lot of games too, but I'm going to. But since this is top three, I don't have a chance to really talk about uh, some teams. Um, so I'm going to go with the Arizona Coyotes. Um, they've been really hot. Uh, they've won five games. Um, Anti Ranta is phenomenal. Um, you know, I think he's given up like he. You know, he. They're on a five game winning streak. Um, and they, uh, he gave up three goals on Friday, but then on all the other games that they won, he only gave up one goal in each of those games. Or uh, Darcy Kemper was also in net for two of those games that they won. And so I, and that I, game against Carolina where yeah. Ranta was under siege, he stole that game. Yeah, yeah, they gave up like uh, the Carolina had like fifty shots on net. Um, and, uh, you know, so guys, but like, it seems like guys like Clayton Keller, uh, Derek Stepan, 
Uh, even like guys like Vinny Hinestroza has like you know stepped up, and um, of course OEL and Kuligowski, um have all stepped up too um, on the defensive side of things. So I think like this is what we kind of saw in the second half of the Ki- for the Coyotes, but it seems like this is like this is where they are at the beginning of the year, which is where they fell apart last year, where like they had a horrific first half of the season and then they couldn't, you know, come back no matter how good they were in the second half. And now that they're actually like working, I think this is a team to look out for. I know that they're in fourth place in the the Pacific right now or fifth place in the Pacific right now. But even still, they're 7-5 and 0. Um they started off slow to begin with cuz they couldn't score, but now that they're actually scoring, I think this is a team that um, that can stack up well with like any team in the league. So, um, so yeah, those are my those are my three teams. I guess maybe Coyote. There are a couple teams that could be better than the Coyotes. I can understand that, um, but I I figured I should give them a shout out when they're on their five game win streak. Um, as well, another honorable mention is the New York Islanders, who have also won five straight. Um, and they're first in the Metro. But I decided to give a shout-out to the Coyotes because I, I kind of have a soft spot for them for some reason. Um, anyways, uh, so who are your top three? Well, I'm going with Nationals, my top team. They had a massive week. They're getting results without their special teams. Mm-hmm. Both Saros and Pecorine have done well in goal. Uh, how about Roman Yossi getting 10 shots against the Bruins, which is absolutely crazy. Yep. Like, that's a quarter of their offensive production against Boston right there. They had 40 shots in the game, and he got 10 of them. Uh, yep. So, definitely Nashville uh, is a team that's on the rise. A team like Tampa Bay, that's uh, probably going to be pretty good for the entire season. And uh, yep. they're they're getting contributions from all fronts. So, um, Nashville's my top team. Speaking of Tampa Bay, they're my second team. Uh, mm-hmm. Braden Point, monster five-point game against New Jersey. Their penalty kill as a whole has been rock solid. Anton Strauman, you mentioned him. Three assists against Montreal. That was uh, their top scorer. Anton Strauman was, was their top scorer in that game. So uh, nice to see that from uh, Anton Strauman there. Um, and, uh, like, yeah, like, like you said, uh, Stamkos and Kucherov haven't really uh, lit the lamp yet. It's been guys like Gore, guys like Tyler Johnson, guys like Braden Point that have really stepped up and taken charge of that team offensively. So um, once Kucherov and Stamkos get going, uh, this team's going to be even tougher to deal with. And once Hedman comes back, same deal. So uh, I like what I see from Tampa Bay. And, um, yeah, they've lost to Nashville, but they put 43 shots towards Pecorine. So it wasn't like um, – they were dominated by Nashville. They actually dictated uh, the pace a lot against the Predators. They just couldn't convert on uh, the quality chances that they did get, and Nashville was able to do that. Nashville had better execution that game. But um, they definitely had some good things against the Predators. And, uh, hey, why not completely with Arizona as my uh, third team? Oh, really? Seven shorthanded goals as a team, if you can believe it. They've scored a shorthanded goal in four consecutive games – their penalty kill has been solid. Anti Ranta is a beast. Um, they're giving me countless reasons right now 
to consider them as a solid wildcard team. And um, to your point of them being fifth in the Pacific, let me remind you again, the Canucks are first in the Pacific. So right. a lot can change. True. So um, I definitely think there's time for Arizona to continue to make some noise. But what they've done over the past five games has really made me step back and go, this team is actually putting it together and they might actually do something. And yep. that's something we waited to see for a long, long time, and I think it's finally happening. So, yeah, we're fully in agreement with our top three. Wow, I, I thought you you were for sure going to change another team for the for the Coyotes because I thought that was like and the out of. I'll, I'll go complete four for four. I was tempted to put the Islanders on this. Oh, list. really? Their goaltending has been solid, but yeah. uh, with Arizona's streak, I had to put them in there. All right. Well, well, the Islanders also have a streak too, but yeah. Um, it it is funny though, when I'm looking at the Pacific division standings at the moment, I know obviously it can change, but, uh, it is kind of crazy to think that on the top of the Pacific, it's Calgary, Vancouver, Edmonton, San Jose, which was to be expected, Arizona, and then in the bottom three are Vegas, Anaheim, and LA. So it's like, it's just weird that we all thought at the beginning of the year that the Western Canadian teams and Arizona we're going to be at the bottom of this division, but it turns out that it's it's the opposite this year, um, where the California teams are struggling um, a bit, <laughs> whereas like all the and Vegas are struggling, and then all the other teams are actually doing pretty well. So it, it is kind of interesting, fascinating to watch this. I know it's still early, but it's still interesting to watch that. Um, all right. Uh, so then uh, we have our bottom three. I think you... Oh, yeah, so you go first for the bottom three. All right, so I would say the Panthers are the third worst team okay. for me right now. They almost average five more shots than any other team or, or than the team they go up against, and they're below 500 somehow. Um, I think the return of Roberto Luongo might change things. Yep. But I don't keep them up less, so they're my third worst team. Second worst team, I'm going with the Ducks, who just can't win to save their life. Yep. And we've been saying for a while that John Gibson can't save them forever. It's starting to show, like I said, seven straight losses. You can't argue with that. But are they worse than the Kings? No. The Kings are still the worst. Mm -hmm. They've only scored 24 goals this year. And um, as we're going to mention uh, in our injury segment, um, they're still hurting in goal, so um, I don't really see things getting any better for the Kings at the moment, so uh, they're my worst team. Yeah, <laughs> actually, funny. So we have a very similar bottom three, then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, I, we're on the same wavelength today. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have, I, I didn't have the, the Panthers um, as the third worst team, um, mm. just because I... Luongo is back. He looked impressive in his win against the Winnipeg Jets. So I kind of like where I'm seeing with what I'm seeing with them. Um, and we'll see. Like, in, I was debating putting Detroit in here too, but uh, you know they look like Same they're with me. But then they then they started to win. That's yeah, then they started they... winning stuff. It's like stop winning so I can make this this segment easier for me. Uh, but no, it's uh, <laughs> but no, it's not. Um, and then, uh, so, so the team I have here is the Chicago Blackhawks, um, as the third worst team, 
Um, they've lost five straight. Um, I know it's like, you know, they lost to Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, and Edmonton. And that, uh, those are actually tough teams now. So I understand that, but, um, you know, it doesn't really matter if Crawford's in net or Ward's, Cam Ward's in net, uh, specifically. They just can't get going. It looks like Patrick Kane's injured too, so that may have something some effect on it, but, you know, they had, it's kind of unfortunate because they had such a hot start, uh, but I kind of have to put them up here uh, because they, uh, they've they kind of uh, slowed down lately. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I still think Corey Crawford can figure things out, um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, there, there are other reasons why the Blackhawks weren't the greatest team last year. It wasn't just because Corey Crawford was injured. So, um, I understand Patrick Kane is, I think he's day-to-day. We don't have him in our injury report, but there's also, like, you know, so I feel like once Patrick Kane is healthy, maybe there's a chance that they can um, start working again. But a lot of these guys have to step up again, like Cat, Taze, Seabrook, um... Joki Haru, Brandon Saad has been decent even, um, Nick Schmaltz, um, Duncan Keith, all those guys, they need to step up if, if they want to get over this hump, um, but I, so I, I feel like the Blackhawks are on the trajectory downwards, um, if they're not careful enough, um, and then, um, my second one was the Ducks, they've lost seven in a row, uh, that's, <laughs> I, it's a, I, I can't justify not having them in the bottom three, and then um, if they've lost uh, seven in a row. Um, I mean, I've talked about them last week, but, yeah, it's just uh, John Gibson can only do so much for them. Um, but, like, they just can't score, and I don't even know what it is because they got Silverberg back, um, and Getzlav is also back, but it's, you know, it's just still, like, Injuries, I don't even know if you can blame injuries. I wonder if, um, I don't know, I wonder if uh, maybe uh, Carlisle, is, his time is numbered there in in, uh, in Anaheim. And then speaking of t- coaches' times that's numbered, um, definitely for Coach Stevens, I feel like his time is numbered um, in, in L.A. Um, yeah, they've, they've been terrible. Um, they did, they did win against the Blue Jackets, but I remember seeing that they lost, they made Brian Elliott look good, which is a hard accomplishment, um, on Thursday, um, where they couldn't even score. They only got two goals against Brian Elliott, um, and they lost five to two. The Flyers are a good offensive team, so I, I don't take much into that. Um, and it looks like Quick is injured. Again, as we'll get into in our in our injury segment, but um, yeah, it seems like the um, it seems like there's a uh, like they're not they're just uh, not there yet. Um, so maybe Campbell can pick it up. They did win against Columbus, so they can build on that. But uh, look who they play next. I'm looking at their schedule. They play the Anaheim Ducks on Tuesday. So the two worst teams play each other, um, and maybe they can, I don't know, maybe something can happen there where both teams will get back to what we expected them to be at the start of the season, but 
Um, it's, odd, it's odd that they go up against each other with, instead of the mindset being, we need to beat, um, we need to beat our uh, California rivals so that we can better our odds of finishing first in the yeah. division or getting ahead in the division. And this time it's, we can't afford to be last in our division and lose to these guys. Right, right, exactly. Um, it's also funny, too, because I remember last week I had the Red Wings as the worst team and the Penguins as the best team. I didn't even have either in, in either power ranking. So um, <laughs> it's just funny how I, how I, this has changed this, this whole week. Um, but, yeah, no, you're right. In terms of, like, the California teams, like, who would have thought that they'd be battling for the worst team, the worst team in the league um, this year? So, I don't know. Um all right, let's go with the uh, the rapid fire. Um, first one is uh, Pecorine. Um, we mentioned him before in our power rankings. Uh, he resigns with the Predators. Uh, a two-year deal, five million annual average value. He's getting paid uh, six million his first year. Um, he's also, and then four million the next year. Um, this kind of Makes sense. It was also his birthday uh, yesterday, too. So he got a shutout on his birthday. Um, he also signed a contract on his birthday. So it was perfect. Um, he is 36 years old right now. Um, so that means... Um, and then you have... They have UC Saros, who also has, is going to be a RFA um, when Pecorine's contract gets... Uh, done with next year, uh, you know, in two years as well. But Saros is on a 1.5 million contract, um, and Pecorine's on a 5 million contract as well. I guess this kind of, uh, you know, the Predators have a interesting uh, conflict, um, you know, free agency um, thing to look at because, you know, they have, although I guess not anymore, because they signed Ryan Ellis. And now they have signed Pecorine. So they the only one they really have to worry about is Roman Yossi is going to be UFA the year after. Um, but other than that, their core is pretty much locked up. Um, I thought <laughs> I thought it was stranger now. I'm looking at their cap-friendly page. It's not um, anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, the you know, I guess this is a good deal. Um, it's still like, you know... Rene is going to be, you know, he's not getting any younger. Um, so, so there is that to worry about in, you know, in his last year of this contract, this extended contract, will he be the same? I'm not sure, but it's, you know, it's still better than the 7 million that they were paying him on their last contract. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is they actually saved 2 million compared to, um, his current average right. annual value, which is seven million, so you know if you spend two million dollars a year wisely, um, that True. that can help the Predators a, a great deal. And you know when you look at uh, what David Poyle's been able to do, don't put it past him. I think yep. he can uh, he can be a magician. He can be a magician with the the way he operates that two million dollars. Um, the obvious concern for Pecorine, if if you're a fan, is. You still got that modified no trade, that no move clause. Um, there's a ten team list where he'd be willing to accept a trade to if things 
some fluke out of nowhere things go south in Nashville, um, then you'd probably have to worry about that. But like you said, you know, it's $2 million cheaper than his previous deal. They save a bit of money. Um, and they're basically continuing to keep their promise. The front office in Nashville is keeping their core together. They are giving them a couple more shots to win a Stanley Cup together. And if you look at what Pecorino has been able to do, he might be 36 years old now, but in seven games this year, 1.63 goals against average, 5 one and no record, 9.48 save percentage. Five of the 11 goals he surrendered on the year came over his first two games. He faced 63 shots. So five goals and 63 shots in his first two starts. Last five outings, two shutouts posted, six goals against on 147 shots. That is the Pecorine that Nashville fans have been accustomed to seeing pretty much every single year since he's been in Nashville. And over the past four years, he's faced between 1,700 and 1,850 shots. His GAA hasn't gone over 2.5 in any of those seasons. He's posted a save percentage of 920 or better in two of those four campaigns. Again, he's 36, so that means supposedly, quote-unquote, on the wrong side of 30, he's been playing some of his best hockey. So he's definitely worth keeping around. And you know what? That's good for UC Saros because you don't have to thrust him into a situation where he has to be the number one guy. They have Pecorine for two more years after this year. So they bought him two and a half years to continue to develop his game. Um, Vancouver did that with Corey Schneider um, under Roberto Longo for a few years. They upped his workload more and more every year. I think that's what you're going to see in Nashville because obviously as you get older, no one expects you to play 60 to 70 games and be rock solid in the playoffs. So if Nashville wants a solid Pecorine, they need to manage his workload. Yep. And that is why having a guy like UC Saros in the fold is going to help them. So it's very rare to see a team in win now mode, but at the same time preaching patience. And that's exactly what the Preds did with this contract extension with Pecorine. And I think it's a very solid move. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a nice move, especially considering, like, they have, you know, with goalies, you have to be patient with them. So it's like, who knows if, if Saros is going to be, like, good or not still, like, with a, with a bunch of workload stuff. So, um, so yeah, it makes sense to, like, to wait it out and, and continue to keep Pecorine until you're for sure, for sure that Saros is the guy. Um, and, you know, I, I, think it, I think it makes sense in that regard, because goaltending is important, obviously. Um, next off, uh, we also have Yanni Gord. He resigns with the Lightning for six years, $5.16 million annual average value. Um, so, he was, I didn't even realize this, but when I'm looking at the Cap Friendly page, he's making $1 million this year, uh, which is just crazy to me. Um, so he has a four million up um, increase in salary. Um, it should also be noted that this six-year, thirty-one million dollar contract—not year by year, but just the term and the total money—is yeah. exactly identical to Tom Wilson's contract that he signed this offseason. Oh wow! I didn't even know that. This is also—I thought you were going to say that this was uh, uh, 
Breeze Boss is the first contract that he had. Uh, he uh, he did as a gentleman. Another thing I was going to mention later. Yeah. So thanks for reminding me. Yeah. Uh, I <laughs> thought I thought you were going to say that, but yeah, no, it's all right. Um, but yeah, so this was <laughs> this is the first contract from uh, uh, Breeze Boss. I'm blanking on his first name, but um, Julian Julian, Julian Breeze I just know the last name for some reason. Um, but uh, Yanni Gord, he's also 27 years old, which I didn't even realize either, because I thought he was like somewhat like young, like 24, but I guess... Um, 26 he, going on 27, but yeah, yeah like he's, he was nearing free agency after this deal. Yeah, no, I didn't realize that. I thought he was like younger, because you know, he had a breakout year last year, but I guess he played, he was 26 at that time, so he's like one of those... Um, over-ager type players. Um, and it's astonishing because he was never drafted in the QMJHL. Yep. He didn't really make any QMJHL roster until he was 18 years old. Full-time, he didn't make a, yep. a QMJHL roster until that age. And he wasn't drafted by an NHL team either. Yeah, I think part of that is because he was he's 5'9 and 172 pounds uh, currently. So I think... I think is you know still I feel like there like a lot of short players are you know there's a boom this in this generation where there's a lot of short players are playing in this league um, you know and, and finding value in that but um, especially since there's less like fighting and hitting and stuff so I think that has something to do with it uh, as to why he was undrafted but it, you know like Marty St Louis was like. Uh, <laughs> was very short um, and also very good. Um, so I feel like the, like the same with Tyler Johnson is a short player who who is yeah. also um, you know. So I feel like the Lightning just have like just have a knack for finding these guys who are short but good at hockey. So um, yeah, he has thirteen points in thirteen games this year though, um, but he still has like thirty shots on on a net. Um, which is kind of crazy because he only had, you know, five goals um, this year. So that's like a 16.7 shooting percentage. Um, so that's still unsustainable, I feel like. But at the same time, it's, um, you know, he's been good so far. So it's, um, you know, he may just be a good player. Um, that, that could be just be the thing. Um, but, yeah, it is kind of, you know, you have to be a little bit wary on it. Um, I guess it makes sense to increase his contract because we were talking about the thing that I'm Amy. I'm well. What's that? Um, the thing that's impressive about the Lightning, as we've talked about for many years now, is the the fact that you know they have a lot of depth. Um, and Yanni Gord is a big part of that. So I think I think it makes sense to pay him um five million, maybe four million could be enough, but. Uh, I think it. I think it makes sense to have him be on, um, you know, to definitely increase his contract because uh, he's not a one million dollar player, or, or he's not playing like that. So um, I think it makes sense to 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 raise him up. But I don't know. Maybe five million. I guess is fine. Um, but we'll see how it goes um, in a couple seasons from now. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because, uh, and uh, I monitor the Lace Em Up Twitter quite a bit throughout the week, and uh, sometimes we get um, replies from um, fellow listeners, and um, I don't want to say the Twitter handle because I'm not 100% sure if it's the right Twitter handle, but he was just, he, he just basically went off saying, you know, okay, he had one good season. Wait two or three years and then give him this kind of money if you think that he's worth it. And you know what? I'm the conservative point of view where, you know, basically earn your spot, earn the kind of money that you're getting, and then get paid when people think you're worth that kind of money, when you've shown that you're worth that money. But if the Nate Schmidt extension has taught us anything a few weeks ago – some NHL GMs, if they think a guy is worth that much right away, they'll just give him the money. And we're obviously not seeing that in Toronto with William Nylander. Um, but you know, we saw it with the with Nate Schmidt in Vegas. He had one big year, and now he's getting close to $6 million per year for six years in Vegas. Yep. So um, I think some, not all NHL GMs, you know, they're, they're pretty keen on rewarding players – after one big year. And yep. this is another example of that. But I don't think they would give out this kind of money to Yan Gord if they didn't think he was worth it. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll list out some points as to why I think this is a good signing. So first off, here's what Julian Breesbois said in the team press release. Yanni personifies our team's identity with his speed and relentlessness on the ice and his strong character off of it. He's proof of how far hard work and dedication can take you, and we look forward to him continuing his career in Tampa Bay. So the Bolts are a fast team, first of all. Mm-hmm. They need fast skaters like Andy Gord in their lineup. Hasn't reached his full potential at 26. Point-per-game player right now. And over the course of his career before making the NHL, he's made some waves. In his final year in the queue, he recorded 124 points in 68 games. Uh, first AHL campaign, 29 goals, 57 points. Third and a third AHL campaign, he gets 27 points in 22 playoff games for Syracuse. And then last year, his first full NHL season, 25 goals, 39 assists, 64 points in a full 82 games. And he did all of that while averaging just over 16 minutes of ice time per game. And he still got 25 goals that year. Finished one goal below Philip Forsberg, two goals shy of his teammate Steven Stamkos. He had 27 goals last year. And again, Steven Stamkos, one of the elite shooters in the game, top line guy. Gord was a second or third liner. And he still got 25 goals. Stamkos had 27. And then you look at his power play points. Okay. Seven goals, 13 points, five game winners. And that's pretty good secondary scoring, once again. So. He definitely did a lot last year that made you ponder about whether or not he was worth this kind of money. Um, so I took a look at his cap comparables. Carl Soderberg, Tyler Bozak, Mikhail Backlund. So that's around the kind of money that Yannick Ward is making right now. You think about what he's going to be in the next couple of years. He's probably going to be on the same line as Braden Point. That's a line that thrives on speed and skill. Seems to be a lot of chemistry between the two. I can definitely see Yannick Gord continuing to be a good offensive player for the next several years. Maybe even be a guy that 
could make 70 to 80 points a year. So if he can score 70 to 80 points, if you're only paying him just over $5 million per year, that looks like a pretty that looks like a pretty good deal. In fact, that looks like a steal to me. Yeah. Because I'll, I'll, I'll take you to this season's numbers. If you take a look at the shots on goal leaders, Tampa Bay, uh, their leader is Steven Stamkos. He has 36 shots. Sits 72nd in the league in that category. Yannick Gord sits fourth on the team with 30 shots on goal. And Ryan McDonough is second on that list. And once again, ice time for Yannick Gord is not that high. He averages 17 minutes and 41 seconds this year. That's not a whole lot. But you compare that to Stamkos' time on ice, that's 29 seconds higher. And, and you compare that to time on ice, Yannick Gord, two seconds higher than Kucherov. And he has 38 more seconds of time on ice than Braden Point. So everyone on Tampa Bay seems to have their turns of getting hot, getting on point streaks. Braden Point and Yannick Gord have been masters this year at making the most of the time on ice that they get. And if if uh, Yannick Gord continues to do that, and he continues to be a solid secondary scorer, I can definitely see this being a bargain signing for Tampa Bay. It may seem like a lot right now, but you look at what Yannick Ward has been able to do in the last year and a bit, I definitely am comfortable with giving him $5 million a year if I know that Braden Point is going to be on his line. And um, the question now that I pose to you, Brett, is how much money is Braden Point going to get? Because he's the next guy they need to pay. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> this is a hot take. I feel like Braden Point might be the better center than, like, Steven Stamkos. Um, but, you know, because he is... I was looking here, I think he was a top-line center for for them uh, the past couple of years. But, yeah, I think I think uh, Brian Point's going to get a huge pay cut if if Johnny Gord is getting $4 million increase I, and Brian Point's better than that. I don't know. I feel like he's getting, like, 6 or $7 million, maybe $8 million. Um, so yeah, he's going to get paid pretty soon. Um, if he can, and, and I, yeah. if, if you want to hear some stats on Braden point, I've got stuff to back up why he could be worth 8 million. Uh, because, well, we have to get going, it, but <laughs> okay. Well, it, to, to say, to say the least, uh, anyone who thinks that Braden point isn't worth 8 million a year, yeah. I'm not calling you crazy, but I, I think it'd be crazy, crazy. Suge- to suggest that he's not worth 8 million. Yeah. Because I definitely think he is. Yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I can I can talk myself into making him into an 8 million. I'd have to look at the comparables and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I could see that. Um, all right, uh, let's go to the injuries here. Um, Max Pacioretty, uh, we forgot to mention this last week, but uh, Max Pacioretty has an upper body injury. Um, he did this on Saturday, October 27th. So, oh, no, Sunday. Oh, no, wait. That was Saturday, October 27th. Um, upper body. He's day-to-day, although there was reports that he took part in Saturday's practice um, on November 3rd. So so he may be back this week. But, yeah, Max Petrietti is injured, was injured this week. Um, so we figured 
I should mention that. That kind of, you know, that hurts too because they their two biggest acquisitions, Paul Stasny and Max Petretti, are both sidelined or both injured. Um, so that certainly takes a toll out of Vegas for now. So um, so there's, there's that. Um, we mentioned this when we were talking about the power rankings, but it looks like Jonathan Quick is injured again. Um, it looks like it's a D. He's out. Um, indefinitely, um, it says that he, he's si- expected to be sidelined for three to six weeks, though. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see if this, this next return is, um, better than the last time he returned. Um, he can't be much worse, so, um, so there's that. But, um, yeah, the King's woes are all relying on Jonathan Quick, and when he's not healthy, it's kind of tough. Uh, tough on the Kings there. Yeah, like, even even if he's on the ice, they're not doing that well, right. which, again, kind of speaks to what we've been talking about in the past couple of weeks, that maybe it's not just Jonathan Quick uh, not being healthy that's hurting the Kings. Maybe it's just the fact that the Everything. Kings are playing very good right now. Yeah. Um, Michael Nervirth is also re-injured again. It says his undisclosed. Um, he's heading back to Philadelphia to consult with the team doctors. Um, but, uh, yeah, it looks like Nervirth is still injured. He didn't look good at his, in his return, but it looks like, so maybe he, uh, re-injured the same thing again. Um, we'll see. But I feel bad for this guy, because it seems like he gets injured all the time now. And he's not a terrible goalie, he's just never gotten a shot because of all these injuries. So I hope it doesn't end his career, but it's just, uh, you know, (laughs) it's just unfortunate that he always gets injured. Uh, I think it could end his career in Philly, though, because you look at all the goalies that they're carrying right now. If true. he's not making the saves and someone else is, he's not getting any starts. Yeah. The Flyers need wins. They need better goaltending. Yeah, true. Although I was looking, Carter Hart isn't exactly doing well in uh, the AHL this year. Um, so I don't know what they do. Because I feel like Carter Hart was like their emergency goalie. Um, but um, I feel like they, they shouldn't rush him. Now, so I don't know. Um, I I think even if even if uh, their goaltending is as bad as it is, I think it'd be a mistake to bring him up to the NHL. Yep. I think you you need to get him used to the higher level of hockey, and yeah, you know if he's not doing well in the AHL, even more reason to keep him down there and figure things out. Exactly. You know, it's like one of those things. Like it's not like an if situ if he's gonna be here. It's. I mean, it's not a when he's gonna be in the NHL. It's. It's more of a like you know this season. It might be. It might be this season. It might be next season. It might be this se- next season after that. It's just when he's ready. Um, so yeah, I think. And and you, you yeah. look at their history of developing their own goalies. It's not positive after Roman Czechmanic. So they need to make sure that this experiment works. Right. Uh, Brandon Sutter has a shoulder injury. He's week to week. We were just talking about the Canucks and how great they are, but they have a they have a pretty a lot of players on their injured reserves right now. Because you have yeah. Anders Nielsen is also out. Edler Bershe, speaking of guys who are always injured, um, Chris Tanev and Jay Beagle are all injured too. So, um, so yeah, Brandon Sutter is out. Although I think he was like a second line center for them. So that's going to hurt them, but... that That's kind yeah. of why it hurts them, because, you know, outside of Jay Beagle, 
Brandon Sutter is basically their veteran center. They're basically relying yeah. right now on um, Bo Horvat and Bo Elias Horvat, Patterson. Elias Patterson, who we just Peterson. mentioned. Peterson. That, we should get a counter up on the board. Yeah. And Adam Goodet. That's basically their top three centers right now. Yep. Um, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I don't know how that's going to work out for them. But, I, I mean, you know, it's this whole Peterson hype has kind of changed my perspective on the whole team, where I feel like they could actually contend for the playoffs, um, but, like, they have to be healthy. So, I don't know. I'm sure finishing outside the bottom 10 would be considered a victory, although yeah. I'm sure they'd happily take Jack Hughes if they could. Oh, yeah, take take another brother. Uh <laughs> Well, that would also be fitting. Threat. I don't care if he's Quentin Hughes' brother. Take the best player available. Well, that would be no. That would be fitting too if they get like they get the second brother after <laughs> the Sedins. Yeah, you know. Yeah, because because we haven't seen that before in Vancouver at all. I know exactly. Um, Rasmus Dahlin uh, got injured in the uh, I think it was like in the second period against your Senators. Um, He's day to day. He a shot for Matt Duchesne, yeah, yeah, and he left the game, didn't return. He's day to day, so we don't know exactly how serious it is, but it is undisclosed, and he wasn't able to play in the third period. Um, it was a nine to two game. Uh, spoiler alert! We <laughs> spoiler alert, I guess. Uh, but uh, yeah, the uh, Rasmus Dahlin is uh, is injured, so we don't know how serious it is, but um, hopefully, it's it's not too serious where we will see him soon um and then we have returns we just said that pecorine uh returned on in our top you know in our power rankings um he shut out the bruins in his return when i wrote this i was hoping to jinx him but uh it turns out that i actually uh told the future because he did shut out the bruins in his return it was also his birthday also the same day as he resigns with the Preds. Um, so, uh, congrats to you, Pecorine. You're not rubbing it in at all. Um, so, uh, so there's that. Um, and, and then on top of that, um, he stopped 42 of 43 against Tampa the start before. So, yeah. um, he, he had a bigger homecoming before uh, the contract oh. extension, too. So, uh, yeah, big week overall for Pekka. Only one goal against. Yeah, you, he's, it looks like he's... Um, the Vezina caliber guy that we all expected him to be. Um, Roberto Luongo also returned on on uh, on Friday. It was against the uh, the mm. Jets in Finland. Um, he had a pretty good game. Uh, he only uh, he saved forty five, uh, gave up two goals, um, and this was in Finland. So it looks like uh, Roberto Luongo. Um, there is some hope for the Panthers. I know they're they're struggling now, but I think there there is some hope that Luongo can can help them um, at least be contenders um, for the time being. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Robbie Fabry and Oscar Sunquist also returned. Um, they, they, uh, Sunquist got a goal off of Robbie Fabry. Are, are off of a Robbie Fabry assist, um, and I thought that was kind of cool too, because considering that Fabry has been injured for a year and a half now, 
Um, and then Oscar Sundquist uh, famously got was the victim of Tom Wilson in that preseason yeah. game. So it is kind of cool that they're both um, out there right now. Uh, I believe they're both on the third or fourth line at the moment. So, um, so I, I guess that makes sense just to get their, you know, um, their feet wet kind of things. But it is nice that they're they're healthy and uh, capable of these of these stuff at least. So we'll see if it if they can be consistent or something. But um, it is nice that. Um, they have, you know, at least they're on the score sheet and they can come back from that. And um, on that goal that uh, Fabry assisted on, he actually took a hit from Colin Miller to make a play. Uh, yeah. And that was his first shift back from two major ACL issues. So to, to have the guts to go out there and, and take a hit on your first shift to make a play like that and set up a goal, that's got to be a huge confidence booster for Robbie Fabry. And at, at this point, um, yeah, the the Blues need scoring depth, and they need Robbie Fabry to be good. But I think for right now, Robbie Fabry just needs confidence. He needs confidence to go out there and make those plays. Yep. And uh, to do that on your first shift definitely helps. Exactly. Um, and then uh, I don't know if we mentioned this before, but Alex Tuck returned. I think it says here that he played six games already. Um, but I thought I should shout him out because he's he has five points in those six games. Um, so I remember we talked about him during our when he had his contract extension. Um, so right, it looks like yeah. so it looks like Alex Tuck is is returning and he had five points in six games. So he's off to a hot start um, to begin his contract chase um, to make sure that he's worth it. Um, Slava Voinov applies for reinstatement. Um, so yeah, this is, a this is complicated because, uh, I'm not, it, it, it doesn't seem like, we want, like, I'm all for second chances, but I feel like Slava Voinov hasn't even learned from his, you know, from what happened, and, uh, I don't know, I feel like it's just a, it's a red mark if, if the NHL allows him to play. Um, and, re- and reinstates them in. Um, I, I saw there was a report that even if he is reinstated, the NHLPA can interfere or something like that, but, um, like, can suspend him. Um, but I I don't know if that's necessarily true or not. Um, so I feel like they're, uh, they're, 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 it's like a long-standing story, so we'll see how that goes um, in that sense. Yeah, it says the NHL is going to conduct a full investigation into Slava Boynov um, now that he's applied for reinstatement, and I hope they take it seriously. And yep. what I especially want is proof that he's a changed man. Like, show me he's changed. I don't just want to hear it. Show me that he's changed. I want pure evidence. I want pure evidence to know that people trust this guy, that people think that he's worthy of a second chance. And right now I've seen nothing that indicates that he should be worth of a second chance. And even if he is, I'm wondering if the NHL makes an example out of him and says, no, we're not going to let you back. Like, show all the players um, that you weren't able to do with Austin Watson. Show the players what happens to your career if you do something this serious. Yeah. And 
I think this has been teed up on a silver platter for them. The NHL cannot mess this up. Yep. Um, the three stars this week, <laughs> in other news, I can't think of a segue, uh, in other, uh, other news, uh, the three stars of the month were announced, um, it was Miko Rantanen, who had, uh, who did pretty well, uh, I think he has, he was like, uh, he had like 19 points, um, uh, no, 24 points. Um, well, he had uh, 21 points in the month of October. Um, he's since uh, done damage in November. Right. But uh, he started the year with a nine-game point streak, um, and he led uh, the league in points at the time he got this award. I believe he's still the points leader as well. Yep. Um, and he also had uh, a pair of four-point showings against New Jersey and Ottawa. And he was also a plus 14. For all you people who love plus-minus stats, plus 14 in October, that's pretty good. Getty Malkin was the second one. I found here that he had 19 points in in 10 games in October. Mm-hmm. And then so that's have, almost that's almost an average of two points per game. Yep. And then you have Patrick Kane, who had uh, 18 points in 12 games um, in in the month of October. What I'm confused about is like why didn't they put in Connor McDavid or why didn't they put in Nathan McKinnon? Because those guys were also pretty good, unless or like. Gabriel Landeskog or something, unless you can only have one player on one team, so they decided on Rantanen. Um, and then Connor McDavid had, like, 21 points. Uh, no, he didn't have... Um, he, had, uh, he had 18 points in 11, ga- in 11 games in October. It seems like that's, like, more points per game, even though he played in less games than a lot of these guys, so... Um, I feel like those guys, like McDavid and McKinnon, should at least be recognized as well, but whatever, what are you going to do? And even Sebastian Naho and the kind of start that he had for the Carolina Hurricanes, and I think Austin Matthews maybe goes into that conversation if he um, didn't get hurt slash didn't go pointless in four straight, so... Yes. Uh, th- it's it's not it's not easy to pin it down to three people, and I yes. don't envy the people that that do that job. Um, but I defend them putting Patrick Kane on this list because if you look at what the Blackhawks have been able to do goal scoring wise, you look at their goals against. Yeah, they needed that offense from Patrick Kane, and they needed it badly. So uh, I would put Patrick Kane in the same conversation as Connor McDavid, where they need this guy firing on all cylinders, or else they're in trouble. Mm. Um, I know I put this as if we have time and we don't really have time, but I just wanted to say that the NHL and the M- MGM Grand have a partnership deal. Um, it looks like the MGM will receive access to previously unseen enhanced NHL proprietary game data. Um, the deal will also enable MGM to market its properties and entertainment lineups to millions of hockey fans through the league. The new sports betting landscape presents a unique opportunity for fan engagement utilizing technology and data that are exclusive to our league. As a leading global gaming operator and entertainment company, MGM Resorts is the perfect partner for us to begin our transformative entry into this space. So this is kind of it's kind of pretty cool that like the MGM and the, I think this is one of the first times that a league is even partnering with a casino. Um, and I think it's like, so it's going to seem like you're going to be at a game 
and you can, like, bet, like, about, like, who's going to score next and who's going to, you know, how many ice time and stuff or things that, um, the things that, like, you know, sports bettors do in Vegas and you can do it, you know, anywhere, basically, now that sports betting is more or less legal, um, in the States, so, um, I find this kind of interesting, and, um, but, um, I will, I am wondering how they, if this will actually work or not, so, um, well, I, yeah. maybe from a marketing, maybe from marketing revenue standpoint, it could help the NHL grow, but will it grow its brand where, um, it's bigger than football? Absolutely not. No. Like, Football, baseball, and basketball all have something that, for whatever reason, I can't pinpoint. The NHL doesn't have it, and right. um, the NHL is just going to be that little brother for years and years and years and yeah. until uh, something changes. And the fact that they have lockouts every six or seven years, <laughs> uh, 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 closely followed hockey, uh, that's happened. Uh, that doesn't help their brand. Right. Their brand is the lockout league. Uh, if that continues to happen, so. Um, it, I think if it has any impact, it'll be on the revenue side. Popularity standpoint, I don't think this changes anything. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was, like, I mean, gambling, it's more gambling's legal here in the States, so that's why they're able to do this. So, like, essentially other leagues will be able to do this too. Um, so I don't think on a popularity stance, I don't, I I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be like, it's like, this is, this is it, this is. This is going to be the the reason why people follow hockey more than other sports. I don't think that's the case, but um, I think it is kind of cool that they are at least embracing gambling um, as opposed to other sports. Um, and uh, at least, yeah, I expect all the other leagues to um, embrace gambling in some form eventually. But it is kind of cool that they are um, they were like that. So yeah. Um, let's go to the Bruins send segment. Um, yeah, you, I guess you want to go first. <laughs> yeah. Seeing as you went first last week, I'll go first this yep. week. And, uh, well, there are a lot of, uh, sends related news to get to. So we'll start off with Tuesday's game against Arizona. A lot going on in that contest. Craig Anderson, uh, at the start got a very well-deserved night off. Uh, Mike Condon in nets, uh, unfortunately, uh, after 20 minutes, things changed rather quickly. Galchenyuk opens the scoring less than five minutes in. First of um, his stint with his new team. So good for Galchenyuk there. Bad for the Sens. Brad Richardson again then, um, then goes ahead and scores his third of the year. It's now 2 nothing. Um, so this is all before the 10-minute mark. And then the Sens are on the power play. Of course they're on the power play. Oh, yeah, when a harmless it. dump in from Derek Stefan from his own blue line, Yep. Somehow goes through Mike Condon. I don't know how, but it found its way through. Coyotes are up three nothing. Bang bang boom. End of the night for Mike Condon. Craig Anderson, you're in the net. Um, he did pretty good in relief, but that slow start hurt Ottawa. And you know, I'll give full credit to the Coyotes for the good team that they've been over the past five or six games. But I think the Sens could have done a lot better if it wasn't for that sluggish start. To Mike Condon did not look sharp uh, on the second goal. Certainly didn't look good after the third one that ended his night, but this wasn't all on Mike Condon. There were there were um, 
there were various parts in the first period where the team didn't play well in front of him. So it's not all on Mike Condon. But, and we're going to get to why he was put on waivers in a second. He was put on waivers because this isn't the first time we've seen a couple of sketchy goals going past Mike Condon. There are a couple of sketchy outings last year where he didn't look good. And um, in the two outings this year, um, there have been times where he hasn't looked good. So um, when you haven't played in like 22 days, um, you're probably having too much rust to shake off. That probably impacts your play. I think it did impact Mike Onan's play in this case. And um, he had to bite the bullet the following day, uh, both on social media and uh, on, on the stat sheet. Uh, his, his stats have not been good this year, and uh, we'll get to more of that in a second. Um, but, um, yeah, it was it was a night to forget for the Ottawa Senators. I think they could have done better if the first period went better, but um, it didn't. They lost 5-1. to one. Onward to Thursday against Buffalo, and uh, the first 40 minutes were not as horrific. The Sens were actually up 3 nothing. They got a pair of power play goals. Um, and a couple of fortunate bounces they didn't get in the Arizona game um, went their way against Buffalo. Their power play was pretty good, 2-for-5 with 12 shots with the extra man. Um, they went 0-for-4 in the previous game, so that was good to see. And after 40 minutes, um, the shots were 25-24 to 24 for the Sabres. So even, on the, even in the, the shots on goal totals, uh, the Sens you know, weren't being dominated so uh, there were a lot of positives. Ottawa looked in control. And then we get to the third period, and Buffalo just turns on that switch. Pominville gets his sixth of the year in his 1,000th NHL game. 59 seconds into the period, it's 3-1. Then Skinner uh, redirects a point shot. It's 3-2. And there's 16 minutes still left on the clock. And uh, then Buffalo, of course, they smell blood. They pressure for the equalizer. They end up shooting Ottawa 23-8 in that final frame. Craig Anderson ends up making 46 saves on 48 shots. And until Bob, uh, and until Bobby Ryan scored that empty net goal um, in the final minute of, of the third period, um, it didn't really feel confident as a Sens fan that um, they were going to hang on. But uh, they were able to get the results. They were able to snap their losing streak. And um, Craig Anderson, once again had to be the hero of the day, and he was on this night. Um, so heading into Buffalo on Saturday with Mike McKenna recalled from the AHL, them going up against Tampa Bay tonight, Sunday night, um, I thought, okay, Craig Anderson gets a rest here. They go with Mike McKenna. They end up starting Craig Anderson, and he got pulled in the first period. Three goals on ten shots. Mike McKenna comes in. Doesn't fare much better. Nine goals on 41 shots for the Sabres. They absolutely dominated Ottawa. Nine to two blowout. It was seven to one after two periods. Um, in uh, if you take a look at um, the stats on Buffalo's side, only I think it was only four players didn't register a point, and only three didn't register a shot on goal. So. Pretty much everyone on Buffalo did something that night. Jason Pominville had another good game. He had three points. Uh, Jeff Skinner this is a had thousand three points of too. his own as well. So it, it was a night to forget all around. It was Pominville's 1,000th game, career game as well. Yeah, well, uh, he, that 
That was uh, Thursday's game, yeah. It was his oh. 1,000th. And then he was celebrated for it the following um, game against Ottawa in Got Buffalo it. on Saturday where they went off and scored nine goals. Oh, I see what you mean. So, yeah, he had two good games against Ottawa. So yep. not, not just one good game. He had two good games against Ottawa. And uh, speaking of good games, Thomas Shabbat, in his defense, in the sense defense, um, Shabbat's been pretty good. In 12 of the 13 games he's played, he's registered a point. He's second in defensive scoring. That's great to see. But um, that was probably the only positive to take away from that uh, nightmare in Buffalo. It was horrific. Um, I watched a bit of it. Um, I think when it was one nothing early in the first period, I stopped watching. And then I just went on Google to take a look at the score because I was doing some show prep. And um, I just saw the score get worse and worse and worse. And it was the best decision I've ever made to stop watching the game when I did. Because um, imagine the people that watched the full game uh, for 60 minutes to watch that train wreck. It, it, it just it wasn't Ottawa's night. Buffalo had their number. And um <laughs> now they go up against Tampa Bay tonight at home, which is not going to be easy um, after a game like that. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the Suns respond to that. They uh, host New Jersey on Tuesday. They host Vegas Thursday. And then they have another back-to-back next weekend, this time in Florida, where they play uh, the Lightning and Panthers, respectively. Um, so... Before we get to the Bruins, though, as mentioned, the Sens had a lot of off-ice news to deal with. The first being Mike Condon uh, being placed on waivers. Um, That was after the game against Arizona on Tuesday. And um, not surprisingly, if you look at his contract, uh, you know why nobody claimed him. $2.5 million this year, $3 million this year, or $3 million next year, sorry. Uh, Um. That contract for the kind of numbers he's putting up just ain't worth it for probably any team. So um, he went down to the AHL. He's going to spend his time there uh, refining his skills, sharpening his uh, tools. And um, I think at some point you're going to see Mike Condon back in the NHL because you look at what he was able to do with the sentence when Craig Anderson and his family was going through what they were going through um, in the early stages of that miracle season a couple of years ago. And Mike Condon was basically thrusted into the number one job. I think he played somewhere, I think it was 27 straight games he started, and he played very, very good. He played good enough to get his team victories most nights. And if it wasn't for Mike Condon, that sense team made the playoffs by four points, and they ended up going to the Eastern Conference Finals that year, almost to the Stanley Cup Finals. If it wasn't for Mike Condon, maybe that run doesn't even happen. So I definitely think Mike Condon is capable of being an NHL goalie, and it's just for whatever reason, I don't know what it is, if he's lost his mojo or if he's lost a step or whatever it is, he just hasn't looked like himself over the past year and a bit. He needs to figure things out. He needs to go down to the AHL. Just get some playing time. Because, like I said, if you're not playing for 22 days uh, in game situations, you're not really benefiting from anything, and you're just sitting there waiting. And um, you're, you're, not really, you're not really being used to your full potential. And it was, it was like that with Dominic Cash when his career started out in Chicago. He played sparingly with Belfour, getting the bulk of the starts in Chicago. And... 
until he went to Buffalo, people didn't really see how good he really was. And I'm not saying Mike Condon's going to be the next Dominic Hasek. What I am saying is that Mike Condon, I think, is a capable NHL goaltender. And he just needs to find that rhythm again. And I think going to the Myers is the only way that uh, that can help solve things. Because the Sens need goaltending. They need good goaltending. They need to give Craig Anderson a rest. He can't play every game, especially at his age. And um, and, and we saw on, Buff, uh, on Saturday against Buffalo what happens when you only give him one night off, one full night off in about a month of action. He's just going to wear down a little bit. And I think we could have seen him wear down even sooner if the Sens didn't have as many consecutive days off between games as they did in October because there were times where they didn't play for two or three nights in a row. And that was basically his rest. So now that they've got some back-to-backs coming up, they're going to need to play someone not named Craig Anderson. And if Mike Condon isn't playing well and Mike McKenna is playing well in Belleville, they obviously need to put in the guy that they think is going to give them the best chance to win. And right now it's not Mike Condon. Yep. And uh, if if the Buffalo game was any indication, maybe Mike McKenna isn't going to do as good of a job as Mike Condon would. So that's why I say I think Mike Condon has a shot at making the big leagues again. But he needs to put that goal behind him because if you remember that Vesatoskala goal against the Islanders way back in the day, I swear, every time there's a Sports Center top 10 goalie bloopers, he's on there. Yeah. Every single time I see him. And that's all I see him for on the top 10 is that play. <laughs> and that play killed his career in Toronto. It killed his entire NHL career, frankly. So the sooner Condon puts that behind him, the better. Uh, we'll see what Mike McKenna does later on. Um, in other off-ice news, Brady Kachuk could be back next week if all goes well. I'll happily take that as a Sens fan. Um, but um, that, of course, all depends on how he recovers. And then uh, we also have Alex Formanson being sent back to the OHL's London Knights. Um, and, the, and it should also be mentioned that Evan Bouchard was uh, loaned back to the London Knights uh, by the Edmonton Oilers. So now the London Knights have Evan Bouchard back. They have Alex Formanson back. Um, last year, he had 29 goals. He was a point-per-game player for the London Knights, Alex Formanton. So I think at this point, the Sens need to allow him to gain some confidence, um, to really thrive in an offensive atmosphere. The London Knights could use a veteran scorer like Formanton in the lineup. So I think the best-case scenario for Alex Formanton is he goes down there he gets the confidence back up. He lights the lamp in the OHL, uh, and he comes back next year stronger with more intelligence um, and and just that same hunger, that same speed um, that really got him noticed in training camp. Because if there's one thing this guy is good at, it's really turning on the afterburners and getting past you. Um, what he hasn't been able to do is master the NHL offensive game. He only had one goal in 11 games and uh, one goal in nine games, sorry, I think. And um, because they were able to send him down before he played his 10th game, uh, that means they don't burn off a year of his entry-level contract. So um, that's also one thing to keep in mind there, I think. Um, for the sake of the organization, for the sake of 
the future of his career. I think sending down Alex Formington was the right call. We're definitely going to see more of him as uh, the seasons go by. Um, but um, I think there's still a lot of work to be done with this offensive game, and you only have a certain amount of time to send him back to junior and get him that experience at the OHL level. Um, because when he gets too old, he can't play in the OHL anymore. So you need to take advantage of the time that he has um, to play junior so that um, his offensive game doesn't suffer moving forward. And uh, the Sens can't rush good talent, plain and simple. Yep. Um, yeah, that, I guess it makes sense to send him down then. Um, <laughs> we're kind of short on time here. Uh, Bruins, so I'll just go right to it. Bruins uh, played the Hurricanes on Tuesday. Um, this was the first time that Scott Darling was in net. Um, Yaroslav Halak got the net as well for the Bruins on the Bruins side. Um, Michael Furland scores on a power play from Aho and Zykov. I was, I remember thinking like, oh, I guess this is going to be one of those things. Like, uh, I guess the Hurricanes are are uh, back to their ways and whatnot. In the second period, we have Pasternak getting his eleventh goal. Um, Tory Krug returned. And he got an assist on a power play there, so of course he's he's fitting right in um, with with Bruins there because he you know power play is he's like a power play specialist basically, um, and he got an assist there. Um, Bergeron also got an assist off of that. Dougie Hamilton then scores a couple minutes later, um, and then to end out the period we have Brad Marchand scoring on a power play from uh, Patrice Bergeron. Uh, this was a nice play. Oh, no, no, wait, uh, never mind. They scored. Brad Marchand also gets another goal goal from Patrice Bergeron, and this was a nice play because Patrice Bergeron back-checked. Um, I'm blanking on the Hurricanes player, but he back-checked a Hurricanes player, took away that puck, and then uh, instantly passed it to Brad Marchand and then all Brad Marchand had to do was just shoot it. Um, and it, was, it just showed how, like, great Patrice Bergeron is um, at, at hockey. Just because, you know, like, he can make a, he made a great defensive play, and then he can pass it. Um, a beautiful pass, too. And it was just um, straight to Brad Marchand's stick, and, and then Marchand, all he had to do was shoot it, and it, it went in. So... So there's that. Um, what was crazy is Hulak had uh, he made 42 saves on 44 shots. So the Hurricanes shoot a lot, as as we've as we've been talking about um, this season. Um, and Darling looked looked decent enough. He, you know, he didn't look. Um, there were definitely moments where you could tell he was rusty, but he was fine. Um, but yeah, no, uh, it was good that the Bruins won that game though, at least. Um, and then there was that. Um, and then, uh, the, and then we had a long wait. This was on Saturday. The, the Bruins played again, uh, against Nashville. Rene, uh, was unbelievable, but also Yaroslav Halak gets the second start in a row, which, uh, has me a little bit weird as a, as a Bruins fan, because I'm a, I'm a big Tuca supporter, as you, we all know, 
Um, and I hate to, like, I don't want to be rooting against the Bruins. Um, but Halak, I do agree that Halak has been phenomenal so far, and you have to ride the hot hand. Um, he didn't even, like, play that badly. He had uh, 39 saves on 40 shots. Um, there was just one that he he let out um, against the Roman, uh, it was Roman Yossi who had that goal. Um, and as Steve mentioned, Roman Yossi had 10 shots on goal um, uh, in this game. So, it, you know, it was just like, it had to happen. You know, it's like the Nashville is a good team, as we've mentioned before. Um, so I, I'm not upset about that aspect of things. It's like Nashville is a good team. It's fine if we lose to them. But at the same time, it's like Halak was phenomenal. And we couldn't do anything to, to like, just you know, to even um, make his his efforts worthwhile. It was just Halak was the only good player on that on that team. And you look at uh, their chances in the third period. Yeah. Like I think the shots were seventeen to six for Nashville in the final. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, so, so like it's tough. It's tough to really tie the game if you don't get too many shots on net and you're pounded in your own end. So yeah, so it, it was more just it was just a frustrating loss. Um, There's also a moment at the end of the first period where it, um, Brian Marchand, um, like it looked like he high sticked uh, Colton Sissons, and and then when they showed the replay, it looked like Sissons. Like, the, the stick didn't even touch him. Um, but then, uh, then Brad Marchand, like, but, like, the uh, Sissons kind of, like, dives um, and, and and does stuff. And then Brad Marchand mocks Colton Sissons, like, a little <laughs> a little bit too much. Because then he, uh, you know, and then the refs take notice and they're like, oh, God, what did, what did Marchand do? So then he starts complaining and starts, like, doing, like, a crying face and stuff, and then and then Brad Marchand gets penalized, even though it was Sissons who embellished. Um, but, but Marchand was mocking Sissons for embellishing. Um, and then uh, that upset Cassidy, that upset Marchand, of course, um, and then it upset Jack Edwards, um, the, the Nesson broadcaster, and that was all they, all the announcers talked about for the the next two periods was like, how can you do this? Um, it was kind of funny that like Brad Marchand was mocking the the things. It was it was it was ridiculous too because it's like, like I I understand like yeah if if you high stick a player, um, then yes that's an obvious penalty. But there was like if you look at the replay, he didn't even touch him. So it's just like Sissons like knew that Marshawn was behind him. He acted out. He embellished, and uh, the refs got the wrong call, and they just assumed that Marshawn, because he's Marshawn, they you know they penalize him, and then they give him a ten minute uh, misconduct, even more because they figure because he was like you know he was talking back and stuff. It's just like ridiculous that like. Like, that kind of stuff gets suspended when he didn't even do anything wrong. He just, like, he was just protesting that, like, Sissons was embellishing. So, it's like, it's, so, like, 
it, it was just ridiculous that Marshawn even got called for that. It was a, definitely a reputation call. The refs were horrible that game, and it was. It seemed like that's all. It was crazy too because that, that seemed to be all that Jack Edwards and Brickley were talking about. Like, sure, it didn't cost us the game because the Bruins weren't playing that well, regardless. But like, it definitely affected the momentum of the game because it seemed like that was just one of those calls where it's just like. Are you serious? It, it, like yeah, Marshall, that happens so you know, late in the period too. Yeah, and it, and it, it's just like it's something that like like I can understand it. Like I get it. Marshawn is 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 uh, you know has a has a an interesting uh, reputation to say the least. So I get it from that perspective. But like, come on, you have to like see that Sissons was embellishing that. You didn't even, like, if you even looked at the, the replay, you could see that it wasn't, like, uh, like, he, he, like, was, like, reacting way too late to anything, and, and Marshawn barely even touched him, so it was just, it was, it was ridiculous there, but at that point, I was just, like, you know, it was just a momentum changer, it kind of, just like, changed the whole game aspect of it, where it's, like, well, we're not getting the calls, and this was just a ridiculous call, um, so, so it was that kind of thing where it's just like, whatever, but you know, <laughs> so, I don't know. I'll be perfectly honest. Um, and I can't believe I'm saying this. Brad Marchand has every right to be pissed off at yeah. the referees. That was a terrible call. Um, <laughs> if he grazed his face, it wasn't by much. Yep. And I think Colton Sisson was, was smart to do that because penalties can't be reviewed. Mm-hmm. They can't be overturned. You have a guy like Brad Murshaw with that angle. Like, it's 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 sometimes tough to tell from that angle. If you're not on the right angle as a referee, right. if, if, um, if, you're, um, if you're where uh, Sisson's back is and not on yes. the side, you don't clearly see if, if Marshawn's stick makes contact with Colton Sisson's right. face. So if you're at that angle and that's what you see – if you if you see that and Brad Marchand is the culprit, so to speak, yeah, the other guy can embellish all he wants and he might get the call. Yeah, and he did. So yeah, so this is definitely a reputation call against Brad Marchand, and and it bit him pretty hard. And and the refs are, I would hope, look at the replay and they go, okay, we screwed up this time. Like, yeah, he he didn't do anything wrong. It it and and there was a similar call between the Preds and the Sharks earlier. That went against Nashville, and it came back to bite Nashville, unfortunately. Yeah. So, if there is a certain angle where the player thinks they can sell and get away with it, it's worth taking because the referees might buy it. They, they bought it that uh, one time between the Preds and the Sharks, and they bought it in this case. So, yeah. Colton Sissons, you know, yeah, he sold it, but I wouldn't blame trying to sell that shot either if it if I thought my team was going to yeah. get a power play out of it. I guess it's more like I, like I can, yeah, from that perspective, I understand why he embellished it. So I can understand if they give him a two minute for high sticking five, whatever. But 10 minutes, that, that's just ridiculous. It's like, he didn't even do anything. It's just, it's just that, that was ridiculous to embellish for 10 minutes. I guess it was because he was also like, he was complaining afterwards and he had every right to complain, 
Um, and that's why he, you know, he, I guess he talked back to the refs, but. And it depends on what he said, too. If he said right. something offensive, which we don't know, obviously. True, but true. If he said something offensive where the yeah. refs just like, I'm sorry, I have to penalize then, him for this. Yeah. I can't let this slide. Then I guess that makes sense, but like, even still, it's like 10 minutes seems so much for just that. Like, it was, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's, it's crazy. I don't know. It was originally two minutes for Unsportsmanlike. Right, two. yeah. Um, Halleck had, uh, so I have two other notes before we end the show. Halleck, as I mentioned, Halleck got the start, uh, for, in both games. Um, they, um, which, you know, he's been phenomenal, and, uh, here's my stance. Again, I feel like I have to make my stance every time. So I guess, (laughs) yeah, like, we've talked about this a lot beforehand, um, in previous shows, like, it, it, it's, it's very important to have, like, you know, a good backup goalie, a good starting goalie, like, that's, that's the difference between, um, uh, you know, an elite team and a good team, so I, I'm all for Halak getting as many starts as he wants, um, but come playoff time, Tuka better be ready, Rask, ha- the only thing I'm worried about is, like, Halleck was on, like, had worse numbers than Kudobin did last year. And, you know, I'm just worried about how consistent he can be. He has, like, a, he has an absurd save percentage right now. Like, he has a 940 save percentage. Um, so, so I, I understand riding the hot hand and all that stuff. But I have a feeling that two, we have four, uh, we have three games next week. And then four games the week after, so we have, so we have to make sure that Rask is healthy and Halak is ready too. So I can, I hope that um, we have that. Um, but you know, it's it's it, it is a little annoying having to hear people saying like, "This is how it should be. Halak should be the starter." It's like, so I always feel weird, like because I don't want to root against Halak. I don't. Um, because he is, all that matters is what's on the front of his chest. If he has a spoke bee on the front of his chest, I'm rooting for them. But at the same time, I'm just worried that Halleck is going to be inconsistent um, when it matters. And, and that's what I'm worried about. Um, I'm a little bit worried about Tuca coming back. But I know that like last year he had a bad start. Um, so I just hope that he can uh, continue to... Uh, at least be good enough um, now. Um, we'll see how that goes, but for now, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, ha- like, I, I, I like to think it's like a Grubauer, Holpe type situation last year, or a Murray, Flurry type situation two years ago, um, where it's just like the, the backups and the, and the starter, you just kind of like feed off each other, and it, it's more of a respect kind of thing, and um, you know, whoever is doing well at this, you know, you ride the hot hand. So, and that's what I expect them to do from here on forward. Um, hopefully, um, hopefully it continues. Hopefully Halleck, he's putting up a Vezina type season. Um, but I, I just, I just hope it, it continues. And, and that's, that's the big thing. Um, and then lastly, before I get to the next week in Bruins, uh, they play, uh, or who they play next week. Um, 
Ryan Donato got sent down. Um, I'm not surprised totally because, I mean, he was, like, going to be a big prospect for us. And he was supposed to be, like, a big depth guy for us. But um, I think it makes sense to actually put him down to Providence because he hadn't really played a ton of games in Providence. So I hope, um, and, you know, he has he, he has had a couple of okay shifts he has a couple of goals here and there when he was on the team this year, but um, I think it makes sense. It will be good for him to develop in the long term to be sent down to Providence, so he can work on his game more. And then when he, you know, and then hopefully when he gets called up, he can learn what he found on the AHL and, and actually, you know, develop into a nice top six type player that. We expect him to be, and, and so, he showed signs of that late last season, yeah. the regular season. So, so he's yeah. definitely capable of that. Yeah, I think it's like Alex Formington, just just getting more playing time, getting more ice time, getting your confidence up, even if it's in the AHL. Just play anywhere, get yeah. some exposure, and once the confidence is up, once he's got his groove going, then bring him back up and see what yeah. he's got. And I, like it, it sucks in the short term for sure, because like that's a big issue with the Bruins is our secondary scoring. But um, but it makes so much sense in the long term because you don't want to, yeah. like, ruin his his confidence um, if he's not scoring. And you don't want, even want him on the third line or fourth line because this is, you know, he's projected to be a pretty good winger for us um, this year. And so if he's, you know, if he's struggling, it makes sense just to send him down and, so he can work on his game and he'll get more minutes that way, and there's less pressure as well. So, so I, I'm, 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 I'm going to be patient with him um, for now, and we'll we'll see how that goes. I, I'm looking at his stats. Apparently, he had one assist in two games, so he's already doing pretty well. Um, so yeah, um, and then this week uh, they play the Stars on Monday. Uh, they play the Canucks on Thursday, and then they play the Maple Leafs on Saturday. Um, so, and those are all home games. Um, oh, and then they play the Golden Knights on on Sunday. Although we will be recording by then. So, um, but yeah, the uh, those are all home games. Um, and but you know, I <laughs> as we know, the Canucks aren't that easy anymore. Uh, stars are sort of getting going. Toronto doesn't have Matthews, but they're still a legitimate team. Um, so uh, those sh- those should be good games to watch, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully they'll 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 win some, and it's it's not going to be uh, there's not going to be any bad calls from the refs. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think uh, that's about it from us. I'm. Uh, oh yeah, L- a Lace Up Podcast is our Twitter, our Facebook is Lace em Up, and uh, we're on SoundCloud and iTunes. This is a pretty long episode already, uh, but whatever, hopefully you skimmed it or whatever you got from what you came here for. Um, I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 145 of the Lace Them Up podcast.